Well, Merry Christmas. Thank you so much for being with us. My name is Zach Thompson. Uh, I am on staff here at Calvary Bible Church. And, and I was thinking this past week about how many announcements that we have in our life, and, and, and so many of them are, are such great announcements. One of my joys is I get the, the privilege of being the one at the end of weddings that I officiate to say, it is my honor to announce for the first time ever, Mr. and Mrs insert last name here. At least that's what it says on my notes. Uh, hopefully I remember to change it for the next wedding. Uh, or when we have some sort of release that's coming up, some book or movie or game or album that we've been so excited for, and yet we haven't heard any specific information. And so it starts to fill us with some doubt. Will it actually be released? Will I actually get to experience it? And then we get that all-important announcement, a release date, and that fills us with such happiness. It will come to be. I will get to experience this, you know, after that release date gets pushed back two more times, but still, I will get it. Or when we are waiting to hear if our name will be announced, we've just competed, we did our best, we did everything that we possibly could, and now the results are coming in. Will they announce our name? Will we be one of the top results? And then we hear it. In third place for the kindergarten muscle man competition is Zach Thompson. (laughs) It really was the highlight of my life. I peaked at that moment. It's been all downhill from there (laughs) since then. Or after a restlessness, tossing and turning for what feels like days, just full of anticipation, finally, after some time hearing that wonderful announcement, wake up, it's Christmas. And that last announcement, that announcement of Christmas is so special to us because of what we hear in the first Christmas announcement that the, that the Gibbs read for us earlier. In Luke chapter 2, uh, in verse 11 and 12, it says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is called Christ the Lord. After uh, this was said to them, After fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. I just so love that verse. Good news of great joy for all the people. And look, I I understand. On this Christmas Eve that we get to come together and worship and celebrate the birth of Jesus, we are pulled in many different ways. There are still things to prepare. There are things to get ready so that we can can have tomorrow go uh, as best as it possibly can. There's still mouths to feed tonight, people to put to bed, and not just your husbands, but also maybe your kids too. There's, there's all kinds of things to be done. And so with our time together, I just want to do two things, just two things. Why is this day good news? And why does it bring about joy? So why good news and why joy? So first for that good news, we have so many moments where we receive good news in our lives. She said yes. The test results came back negative or positive, whichever one is the good one, and it keeps going back and forth. I got a raise at work. I finally got treated like a human being at work. For students, school was canceled today. 
For parents, school wasn't canceled today. I accidentally made too much bacon. Do you want some? All of this is good news for us. And what's great about good news is it is just it is an answer to our longing. It fills us with so much hope and excitement. It relieves so much that's been going on. It gives some sort of clarity because before that, it just felt like we were scrambling along in the dark. And that's what the birth of Jesus is to us. It is good news. See, this world that we live in is broken. It is far from perfect. It does not take much of an investigation to figure that out. And so God said that he would come and make all things right. One would be sent who would redeem and restore this broken world. And following that, there was thousands upon thousands of years of waiting, of, of longing, of wondering, when will this one come to make all things right? See, in times of deep hurt and hardship, people ask the question, if there is a God, why doesn't he do anything about this? Well, that is what God has done. He enters into human history to give a way to restore this broken world that we live in. And yet he didn't come in an expected way. And I think that's why we still might ask that question, why doesn't God do anything? It's we don't realize just what was done for us back on Christmas Day because he came in such an unexpected way. So this one who was born to make all things right, we would expect him to be born in some sort of significant family, to have the resources, the means to make all things right. Nope. Jesus was born a son of a poor carpenter in a situation that from the outside looked like it was an out-of-wedlock birth, which in that time, in that culture, this was a great shame. This is something that would have followed that child his entire life. This was a life ruiner, and that's the situation that Jesus, the one who would make all things right, was born into. Okay, if not in some great family, then in some great place he would be born, maybe a palace, some place that's befitting of his honor and dignity and position this one that we've been waiting thousands upon thousands of years for. The, the birthplace needs to reflect that. Nope. Remember the announcement from the angel in Luke 2, verse 12, that we had read for us. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now, we know the city that Jesus was born into, Bethlehem. That explains that song that we sang earlier. But we don't know where in the city he was born. All we read earlier is that there was no place for him in the inn. Now, we might think of inns as kind of like a modern-day hotel or motel, like a bunch of rooms all in one sort of area. But that's not what that word would have meant back in the first century. Inns had more of a meaning of like a guest room. So a spare bedroom in someone's house that was privately owned. So if you knew the family or you were really persuasive, you could stay there, safe and sound, protected in this privately owned home. Or inns could mean more of like a communal gathering suite. It could be indoors. So picture like a, a large one-room hostel that everyone is just kind of piled into. Or it could be outdoors, like staying at a rest stop alongside a highway. All we are told is that there's no room at the inn. It doesn't say anything about why, what's going on in that situation. We know there's a census and lots of people are in this area. So it's not as though there's some innkeeper, like a hotel manager, who's turning away pregnant Mary, just, just being cruel. 
so much for my role in the Christmas pageant all those years ago. But we know that there's no place in this area, and instead Jesus is born and laying in a manger, which is a feeding trough for animals. This is, this is such a shocking situation. We don't know where this was. Could have been a room in a house where animals were kept. Could have been a stable or cave. We just know it's, it's completely unheard of. It is so bizarre for a newborn to be born in such a place that their crib, their resting place, is a feeding trough for animals. And that is the sign that's given to these shepherds. You will find this one you've been waiting for, the one who will make all things right, born and kept in a manger. This is so unexpected. This is so bizarre. You wouldn't anticipate seeing this. But that's why it works as such a great sign. It's as if I told you, uh, after this, go and drive down uh, 120th and you'll come across a giraffe inside a functioning blockbuster video store. You don't expect to come across either of those things in your everyday life. And so when you find a giraffe inside a blockbuster, you aren't asking the question, is this the one he meant? Maybe we should go further down the road and see if this is a different one. No, when you find a child in a manger, there isn't the question of, is this the one? How many other babies are being placed in mangers? There's none. And that was the sign to the shepherds that this one who has to come, but it's so unexpected for any child. It is so strange to find any child in that place, let alone one who is called Savior, Christ, and Lord. Okay, so he's not born in some powerful, significant family. He's not born in some sort of palace. Then he must be surrounded by people of influence. He must have people who are significant to help him if he's going to make all things right. Nope. Because again, who was the sign given to? It was to shepherds. Now, here's the thing about shepherds at the time. Uh, They had a bit of a reputation. For one, you go take care of animals and not bathe for a while and see how you turn out. But the other part of that is shepherds were considered to be untrustworthy, unreliable, even criminals at times. So if there was a court case and you said, oh, I'm going to get off, I have this shepherd who saw that I'm completely innocent, well, unfortunately, shepherds were not allowed to give testimony or witness in criminal trials. That's how untrustworthy they were. And they were the ones that were appeared to at this time. They were the ones who were given this incredible news of great joy. They were the ones who were told. You would expect this one that's been longed for, that's been waited for thousands upon thousands of years of waiting for this broken world to be made right, that the announcement would go out to substantial, significant people. Like those, those movies or shows that we watch where there's a really fancy party to the point where there's one person whose job it is just to announce when people show up, uh, that they make that announcement to the whole party. And, and the people who get invited are like dukes or barons or, or the like. And you expect the announcement to go to them. But it's shepherds. Imagine them showing up at that party. It is my honor to announce guy who hasn't bathed in six months. Person hiding out from the law with his plus one buttercup the sheep. It's just not something we expect to see. So why would this one who is born come in this way, in such an unexpected, embarrassing way? 
Well, I think it's similar to what we, we hear elsewhere in the Bible. One of Jesus' followers, a man named Paul, he writes this in, in, a, in a place that we call 1 Corinthians 1, verses 27 and 29. Uh, this is what, what uh, Paul writes. He says, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. Well, why would God do this? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God often works in the things that are low and despised, that we see as insignificant, that we might be embarrassed by, to show that he and he alone is the one working, that he and he alone is the one who deserves the glory, that he and he alone is the reason why this exists. So Jesus comes into this world and grows up lowly and despised, and yet he comes and does incredible things. He teaches these amazing truths. He shows this revolutionary way of living. He treats people extraordinarily with no expectation of anything in return, and guess what? He got exactly what he expected in return. He does all of these incredible things. He approaches this broken world head on, living this life that is so inspiring and so perfect that we couldn't possibly do on our own, and lowly and despised, he goes to his death, and he's killed for us. Because here's the thing. All of us, every person and every place at every time does not live up to what we hope to be. We all look back at our life with regrets, with times of disappointment, with, with times of shame, We talked before about how great announcements can be for us, but announcements could also be something that that fear is full of dread. That we're so afraid of hearing words said back to us. You are guilty. You are unlovable. You are just like your father. You are just like your mother. You are not worthwhile. We are so afraid of these announcements to us, but the good news of Christmas is that these words are no longer meant for us. The good news of Christmas is that Jesus has come and he has taken these away from us and made them not our announcements, but has given us good news of great joy because Jesus came to this broken world and paid for it, restored it in the only way that he could with his life and with his death. And he does this for us. It's good news of great joy for all people. That includes dirty, smelly, shifty-eyed shepherds and you. And he does this incredible thing. He is born to this, uh, this earth. He lives a perfect life. He dies to cover those times of brokenness and regret and disappointment that's in all of us so that we can live fully for him. Restored, what was, what was once broken, made new because Jesus has been born. And when we look at this unexpected way that Jesus comes, he's not in some sort of powerful family, he's not born in some significant place, but it's placed in a a feeding trough for animals. He isn't surrounded by the rich and powerful, but shepherds. When we see all of this unexpected way, we can trust that what has happened is truly good news because who else can work through this but God? Who else can author and orchestrate all these things? Who else can bring this to be if not God? 
And so Jesus being born is good news to us because that is our reality. God has come to make all things right. God has come to restore all things. This is historical fact stamped in history and it is good news to us that he has come to make all things right, to make all things new, to restore what was broken. And there is no command to come to this Jesus. Did you see that in the story to the shepherds? There is this announcement to them. The one who you've been waiting for has been born. The one who will make all things right has been born. This is good news of great joy to all people. And here's a sign that this has happened. A child has been born in the city of Bethlehem and he is in a manger. And then the angels worship and celebrate that this has come to be. There isn't, hey, go find this Jesus. It is saying that this is the sign and the shepherds who recognize that this truly is good news to all people who are broken people that they go and follow after this Jesus on their own. Because Jesus has been born to us on this day that's 2,000 plus years ago that we celebrate now. It just completely changes everything. It fills us with such joy because the good news has happened. And that's the response to this. That's the reaction. It's one of joy. Because we have seen this good news occur, because we have seen that Jesus has come, because the thousands upon thousands of years of waiting for the one to make all things right has finally been fulfilled by this child born in a manger in this unexpected way, the reaction and response to that is joy. Now, a quick note on joy. This is something that's different from happiness. Now, I know if you look both up in a dictionary, you would probably find similar definitions, but that's not what the Bible means by joy. See, with happiness, this is often fleeting or changing. And the reason for that is the circumstances of our life are fleeting and changing. Things are going really well. Oh, I'm so happy right now. Things aren't going so well. You know, I'm not so happy right now. With our life going constantly between things that are good in our lives and things that are difficult in our life, we are constantly tossed around between happiness and unhappiness, and, and it's exhausting. We need more than that. We were meant for more than that. And yet we can have joy even in the midst of unhappiness. Here's what I mean by that. So uh, after our second service, after our six o'clock service, I'm gonna go home and I know my wife is gonna put on uh, a Christmas movie because it's not Christmas unless we watch certain movies. And, and that's fine and all. Christmas is a great time of, of tradition, but I know she's gonna put on one of her favorite horrible, terrible Hallmark Christmas movies. <laughs> and so there is no happiness in my life. Just absolutely none. And yet I could be full of joy. That in the midst of difficult situations, whether they're silly, like Hallmark movies, or whether they're not silly at all, in the times where there is little to be happy about, I can still be so full of joy. Because joy is rooted in something more permanent. Rather than being tossed around by the circumstances of our life and, and whether or not those make us happy, Joy is anchored in the work and promise of our God who has come into history, who has shown that he keeps his promises, who has broken into this world on Christmas Day that continues to work in our lives 
so we can trust that what God says he will do, he will do. What God has accomplished has actually been accomplished, and that cannot change our joy. Our joy is unshakable because the source of it has already been accomplished. Our joy is unchanging because Jesus has already come. Our joy is rooted in the promises that God will make all things new because we can trust of what he has already accomplished. Well, happiness may be uh, just sent off kilter by any changes, any variation of our life with anything that life throws at us. It might remove our happiness at any moment and yet our joy will be untouched. Joy may look like celebrations and smiles. Joy can also look like weeping and wailing. I really like this quote from Elizabeth Elliot. She says this uh, sometime after her husband died. And if you can think of any circumstance that you would want to change, death of a spouse has, has got to be up there towards the top. And yet she says this. She says, the secret of joy is Christ in me, not me in different circumstances. This happiness craves different circumstances, but joy is unchanging because it is rooted in something that occurred when God broke into human history on Christmas Day, proving that there is good news of great joy for all people. As we hear the good news that he has come, there is no other reaction but joy. Unchanging, unshakable joy. And that's what we receive at Christmas. There's this image that's used throughout the Bible of, of those who are living apart from God, and, and that's the image of darkness. The idea being that without God to guide us, we cannot see. Without God showing us who we are and, and who he's made us to be, we're just fumbling around in the dark trying to figure that out on our own. It is a life of darkness. And in darkness, it's a place without hope, Without, without any sort of things to, to show us where we are to be. It is, it is a fumbling. It is, it is dropping things. It is, it is feeling so lost. It is a time of despair. It's a place without joy. It's a place where there's definitely not anything that we would call good news. And yet we are told that because Jesus has come on Christmas Day, that we instead have a different image. It's no longer darkness but that of light. This past Sunday, we looked at a passage in Isaiah 9. It says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwelt in deep darkness, on them a light has shone. And that is accomplished at Christmas. It is no longer a time of darkness and despair, but a light has been brought in. Jesus has been born. Darkness has been broken. It is not a coincidence that when the shepherds are out, out at night, announced to them that Jesus has come is accompanied with the glory of God shining on them. It reminds me as well of one of our great Christmas carols, that of Silent Night. The, the story of it goes in this way, that uh, we are bringing the darkness to you so we could break it out in just a second. Uh, the story of it goes in, in this way, that uh, in, the year was 1818 in Oberndorf, Germany, and it was Christmas Eve, and there was this church that was all set to hold their Christmas Eve services, and yet their organ was broken. And this was going to be the entire source 
of their worship service. This was how they were going to praise that Jesus has come. This is how they were going to rejoice in the good news of great joy. And, and without that, how could they hold their Christmas service? And so the priest reached out to a friend of his who had written this poem a few years before, and they hastily scribbled down some lyrics to, to have something to worship through. And, and without the organ, without the fanfare, in a time that would be described as a really dark one, they worshiped together through these great words that we will sing in a little bit. I really love the, the third verse in particular. It captures this idea. It says, silent night, holy night, Son of God, love's pure, what's the word? Light. Radiant beams from thy holy face with the dawn, a time of breaking the darkness, of redeeming grace. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. And this is what we're talking about. Christmas is good news of great joy because the darkness has been broken by an even greater light. Jesus was born to us on that day. This world that is so broken will be fixed. Us who are so separated from our God who loves us and cares for us, God came to us, Emmanuel, to be with us. When we celebrate this, we are celebrating that the darkness of this world, apart from him, has been broken because Jesus has been born. In a few moments, we're going to have a time to, to get to celebrate in this imagery together. As you walked in, there were candles and there were uh, ones to light. There were some battery-operated battery ones for any kids that parents, you might not feel comfortable around a flame. Uh, and the idea being is, is this. In a few moments, we will cut out all the lights that the fire department will allow us to and we will sit in a time of darkness and silence. This is where we were, individually and as a people, separated from this God, away from him. And yet when Jesus was born on Christmas Day, what makes it good news of great joy is the darkness was broken. God came into this world bringing a great light. So we'll sit together in darkness and in silence, and then I will light this candle that I have with me. We will worship together through that, and then we will pass this light from candle to candle until this entire room has the darkness broken by a great light. Because just as the light did not stay in that little town of Bethlehem, but has spread to all people at all times, Jesus has brought good news of great joy for 2,000 years and will continue to do so. So if you haven't had a chance to grab one of these candles or one of the battery-operated ones, I encourage you to do so as I give a little bit of instruction. As I said, I will light my candle. We have a couple people who we've already asked to come up. They will light their candles off of mine and then go down the aisles to help light your candles as well. Uh, a couple little tips inside of there. Once your candle is lit, if you could look around you to see if you can help light anyone else's. But once yours is lit, uh, always keep it upright. These little guards that we have, they are not helpful if they are not between you and the flame. And we don't want the wax or something worse to get spread around this building that we have. So keep a lit candle upright. If you are lighting yours, you can come in sideways until it is lit. Uh, for those of you who do have the battery-operated ones, 
please don't light those on fire. Uh, you just twist them, and that will turn them on uh, for that. So as I said, we will have this room be dark. We will worship together. I will light my candle, and that light will go throughout this as we remember this time, this darkness that was broken by the great light of Jesus who has been born. It's been good news since. It's good news going forward, and it fills us with such great joy. Can I have you all stand with me as I pray for us?